The Radical Secular Podcast, a demand for justice, equality, and rational public policy. Subscribe at YouTube, Apple Podcasts and all the major podcast channels. Visit our website at theradicalsecular.com for articles, insights, and our complete library of episodes. Support us on Patreon and follow us on social media. Hello and welcome back to the Radical Secular Podcast. I'm Joe Kipinti. I'm Sean Prophet. And I'm Christoph Defoe. The main theme we'll be discussing today is the rise and consequences of 21st century fascism in the United States. One of the many consequences of this development is that is on everyone's mind is the assault on abortion rights. Our lawyer and resident, Christoph, will lead us in the legal discussion of the subject. A lot of traditional conservatives are also raising the alarm about the illiberal and authoritarian course the GOP is taking, like David Brooks, someone I follow on PBS News Hours for many years. We will look at that perspective as well. Of particular note here is a documented decline of democratic institutions in America, and we will wrap up with our thoughts on that. In all of this, we will discuss how to approach the moment, talk about what actionable things we can do. But first, I want to remind you all, if you like our show, to make sure to subscribe, leave a review, check our Patreon page, and tell your friends to listen. New episodes post Monday at noon Eastern on YouTube and all the major podcast channels. We also publish new articles regularly on our journal at theradicalsecular.com. Okay, let's begin as we do with our t-shirts. John, what have you got? Well, I, of course, am wearing Ruth Bader Ginsburg because Mm. this situation is an utter betrayal of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and every other woman who has ever fought for women's rights. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's right. And uh, I am um, also uh, tangentially uh, related to the abortion thing. Um, the abortion uh, crisis is my uh, Jersey City, my Jersey City shirt. Um, <laughs> and I'm wearing that today because I am more grateful than uh, really ever to live in a blue state, frankly. Um, it is really fucked up that we're living in a world where the we are almost living in two, there's two countries within the borders of the United States, right? Two ways of looking at the world, two, um, and, and, and drastically different laws. And I don't think that that could be more obvious with this abortion issue, which mm-hmm. is like, holy shit. Like there is like two different worlds for women, right? Um, it's astonishing. So anyway, before we'll, we'll get into that, sure. but, um, I'm just, I'm grateful to live in Jersey city. So what I have is one of my favorite shirts it has the the Star Trek captains all in their ships. And the reason why I wore this one is because I think we need to be action oriented, but we also need like these captains are to be very mindful of our principles at the same time. And this is a good place to do it here. Absolutely. Sure. Love the shirt. Well, it seems like the current tip of the alt-right spear, the religious spear, is aimed right straight at women right now. The abortion issue in particular has been in the forefront of American political culture for at least a half a century. In the last decades, we have witnessed hundreds of new limits and restrictions on Roe v. Wade across the nation. Now we face the prospect of that critical Supreme Court decision from 1973 being wholly overturned. 
Abortion is of great consequence in so many levels. The issue is emblematic of the threat we all face from an outright populist insurgency, which we will discuss in turn. We begin by taking a closer look at this seminal issue and weave it into our understanding of the decline in democracy and human rights in our nations and beyond. I've asked my co-host Christophe to start us off by taking us through the legal historical struggle for this critical human right. Here you go, my friend. The reins are yours. <laughs> Thank you and giddy up. Um, I want to uh, just start by saying um, I don't have a uterus. I, um, to my knowledge, nobody on this show right now has a uterus. We do not. Um, and, um, and so that's just an important caveat as we talk about this. Uh, we wish we could have more women on and we will and we should and we can um, to sort of talk about this issue among other among other issues. And speaking of uh, thoughtful women, uh, my our friend uh, Selma posted a meme this past week that said, quote, a heartfelt fuck you to everyone who told me I was overreacting in November 2016. And Boy, did I feel her on that, right? Um, this yeah. is one of the reasons. There were many reasons why I was so upset in 2016, but this was definitely forefront in my mind, right? When Clinton lost is because we lost the Supreme Court for a generation. And, and, and folks think in terms of four years, they think in terms of eight years. No, 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 no. We're talking in terms of decades here, right? Um, and Roe will almost certainly be killed and it will have been killed by a death um, of a thousand paper cuts. So we should discuss and we will discuss uh, Dobbs v. Jackson, uh, Jackson Women's Health Organization. That's always just a mouthful. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the implications for women and liberal strategies for fighting back. But I want to first, like Joe uh, said, sort of bring us through some of the history that brought us to this point, uh, a legal history um, from the perspective of constitutional law. But before I get into that, gentlemen, do you guys want to comment? Well, as I said, when I <laughs> talked about my T-shirt, I'm absolutely livid about every Democrat or fake progressive who in 2015 and 2016 shared or perpetuated anti-Hillary memes and talking points. I'm looking at you, people who had giant meteor bumper stickers. I'm looking at you who got all upset and worked up over the emails. Okay, this was, uh, this was our last chance. And we now face uh, a climate crisis and we face a human rights crisis with the very worst government possible. And I think that right now, uh, I, I, until I was blue in the face, even in 2012, I was talking about the Supreme Court with regard to Obama, because basically the Supreme Court was hanging by a thread and we needed that next election to keep it going and uh, to keep it going in a liberal direction or at least not an insane conservative direction. A 6-3 court is insane. And, yeah. uh, and and right now we could lose another justice. It could become a 7-2 court if, if we don't uh, get a replacement, you know, for I guess it's Breyer, isn't it? Who's who's potentially, mm. you know, need, either needs to retire or whatever, you know, before yeah. this next election. Yeah. Otherwise, um, yeah. you know, and so it, it was a betrayal. It was really a betrayal. Um, and I, it, it's like the, these people didn't understand that they were playing with a live bomb with the, with these talking points, and they played they 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 fell for the Russian psyop. They they just hook, line, and sinker. I can't even tell you hundreds of friends. I begged. I implored to please just 
put aside their quibbles and squabbles and and just just support Hillary. And they didn't. And it's like they were playing with a live bomb. It blew up and it's now crit- critically injured the nation and us all. And so uh, one thing this week that it was just, I couldn't even hardly watch it. And that was that Hillary read her prepared victory speech from 2016 on camera. And oh. I'm just stunned at how emotional and tragic it was. Her loss you know, it might be looked at in retrospect, as I as I already said, as the end of hope for the continuation of the America that we all grew up in. And trust me, we are not ready for a post-row America. We haven't even begun to imagine the horrors that that will entail. Yeah, yeah. Joe, you yeah, uh, have yeah, any I mean, thoughts? It was a bomb. It was like a fuel air Moab, you know, mother of all bombs. It really is. Mm. Election night. 2016 was truly horrifying to watch. Van Jones was right on the money on CNN when he called it a white lash. Remember that? Mm -hmm. This whole Mm -hmm. alt-right global insurgency is first and foremost a lashing out against social progress for traditionally marginalized people. It's so sad. So very sad to watch what is happening, you know? It ranks right up there with a climate crisis for me. I have to bolster myself on a daily basis against oppression and even nihilism that threatens to take mm-hmm. over. And by the way, we'll be talking about strategy and how to do just that in our com- upcoming shows. Uh, women are a major target because this outright thing is very much tied to a resurgence of old school masculinity. We've talked about this in the mm-hmm. last show and before. And historically, the way to control a woman is to control their bodies, right? The most effective way to do that is to control reproduction. Illegalizing abortion is on the top of a long list of religious right-wing strategies specifically aimed to do just that. Aside from damaging society as a whole, what the outright is doing is also self-harm. So much of the improvements in our society regarding healthier relations between men and women are also being directly attacked. This attack on women's rights is hurting men as well. It's hurting children and it's hurting the elderly. Abortion rights are human rights. In a real sense, making abortion illegal will hurt women most, but it will also hurt everyone across the board. Yeah, well said. Well said, both of you. And those are, and what I'm hearing from you and what I agree with is just that deep frustration and sadness, right? Um, that's, that's where I land on this. Um, and I do think it's important that we start looking for what the world looks like in a post row, uh, in a post row America. What does, what do we do? What do we do? And so we're going to talk a little bit about that later on. But first, let's just take a little walk back down memory lane. Uh, um, in terms of the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court history um, is really identified uh, by the chief justice that was in charge at the time. So we're suffering now through the Roberts Court, for example, which was preceded by the god awful Rehnquist Court. Uh, and I got to say that I'm actually kind of low key nostalgic for the Rehnquist <laughs> court, court at this point, which is a horrible thing to say. Yeah. That's where we are. <laughs> But that is where we are, right? Like, holy shit, Rehnquist sounds like a beautiful liberal at this point, which is fucked up. Um, and and back in 65, the United States was basking in the glory of, oh, geez, I just, my heart flutters when I talk about him, Chief Justice Earl Warren. Uh, his court was often regarded as the last truly liberal court 
And that was the court that uh, gave us Griswold versus Connecticut. And in Griswold, the Supreme Court struck down a, a state prohibition against the prescription, sale, or use of contraceptives, even for married couples. Can you guys imagine that in 1965, there was a state where you just couldn't buy contraception? Wow. Um, Insane. But of course. But also, uh, right, also there was the whole civil rights movement. So yeah, yeah okay. Um, <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> that little that thing. Little thing. Um, <laughs> uh, the critical take takeaway from Griswold is that that the court held that the Constitution guarantees a right to privacy when individuals are making decisions about their intimate personal matters, such as child rearing. And in so doing, Griswold laid the foundation for the court's ruling in Roe v. Wade. And Roe v. Wade's obviously the big one. The most recognizable case name in recent American history, arguably, Roe v. Wade. It was a seven to two decision of the Burger Court in 1973. And the Burger Court is often regarded as a transitional court in the sense that it was the bridge between the liberal Warren Court and the decidedly conservative era that became that began with the Rehnquist Court. Roe involved a Texas law that prohibited all but life-saving abortions. Does that sound familiar? Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Uh, we heard with the, uh, the the ruling that came down uh, that came down just today. Right. Um, the Supreme Court invalidated the law on the ground that the constitutional right to privacy encompasses a woman's decision whether or not to terminate her, pre- her pregnancy, characterizing the right as quote fundamental to women's quote life and future which is beautiful language, the court held that the state could not interfere with the abortion decision unless it had a compelling reason for the regulation. A compelling interest is protecting the potential life of the fetus could be asserted only once it became, quote, viable. And even then, a woman had to have the access to the abortion if it was necessary to preserve her life or her health. I wish I could say that the court in Roe boldly guaranteed women a federally protected right to bodily autonomy in very clear language. Because from that perspective, the debate about when abortion should or should not be allowed seems almost beside the point. But constitutionally speaking, Roe's holding is far more narrow than that. Roe only guarantees pregnant women the right to choose whether to terminate their pregnancy and then only up to the point the fetus is viable outside of the womb. Uh, Before we move on, do either of you want to comment on that? Yeah, well, I'll just pick up on your last point, and that's the viability argument, which I think Mm. is pretty stupid and dishonest, okay? And, you know, here we are. I, I... it's been since I was like 10 years old that we actually had to have a serious conversation where we were discussing the stages of pregnancy. And this is giving me horrible deja vu. Okay. Um, <laughs> but at some point, okay, a fetus could be sliced out of the womb by cesarean and live on its own. We know this. We don't necessarily know where that point is, but medical technology has pushed that point farther and farther back. And with what we can do That's with true. incubators and other life support. A line has to be drawn somewhere, of course. We can't abort babies five minutes before they would otherwise be born and call it okay. But that is constantly used as a straw man argument, as if a 15 or 20-week fetus is in that same category of a, you know, baby five minutes before, (laughs) you know, before it would otherwise be born, right? And that's what I object to. Um, But let's be honest. We all know this is not about protecting fetuses. It's about controlling women's reproduction, as has already been mentioned. And as, you know, everybody who's right thinking on this subject always says, because that's the truth. And we know this from what Republicans say and do, which is that they don't care about actual living children enough to even pay their school lunch debts 
for fuck's sake. They don't want to help women in any way. They want women dependent on men uh, and they don't want the state involved. And they don't want to pay for housing or childcare or even parental leave to care for newborns. The US has one of the lowest budgets for aid to women and children in the developed world. It's absolutely criminal. We spend about $500 per year per child for toddlers, according to the New York Times. Uh, while other developed nations spend an average of over $14,000 per year uh, on, on toddler care. Okay, this is, it's, I, it's hard to even fathom this. And I found this out when I wow. you know, spent some time in Australia, how much they, they subsidize. Any, a single woman with a child subsidized rent. Uh, school, childcare, so she can work. Everything, everything is 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 taken care of, and and it's not even nobody thinks twice about it. And Republicans just want to make sure, though, that a woman stays pregnant at all costs. What happens to that woman and child after the child is born is of absolutely zero concern to them. And what's more important to recognize is that the entire abortion question has never been about anything else other than controlling women's reproduction. And it's because that takes away from the personhood of the woman, takes away from her independence, her ability to make life choices, the ability to plan parenthood. And it's no coincidence that they have tried for decades to destroy the organization, which is actually called Planned Parenthood. <laughs> and imagine men, okay, if the government was forcing you to potentially step up and father a child and pay child support and commit to a lifetime of parenting every time you had a one night stand. That's the equivalency here. Just because women have uteruses that, unlike men, they should be forced to limit their sexual relations and or be forced to turn their lives upside down in order to give birth, whether they want a child or not. Uh, the, the adoption is not a solution. I mean, Amy Coney Barrett's statement on that is absolutely absurd. And, and she, you know, she, she knows or has the duty to know that there is already a backlog of, of adoptions. And now if, this, if, if the Supreme Court guts Roe, it's going to be just over the top. And this is the calculus that many people will be facing, men and women. Don't, don't think for a minute this is just a women's issue because if you're getting ready to go to college and you knock up your girlfriend, okay, uh, guess what? Your whole life is going to change. Uh, and you know also, this is the subtext here, that Republicans are going to go after birth control next. That's absolutely indisputable. Yeah, good point. Uh, I'm not as well versed as I'd like to be, as I should be in the legal and historical side of this abortion issue. And I appreciate this conversation, Christoph. Thank you for doing this. I will say that what I do see on the right is nothing more than justifications for imposing their own morality on the rest of us. It's a morality that Sean outlined well here. It's about control over women couched by everything else but that. I mean, certainly in the legal front. Of course, they will say, say straight out elsewhere, the Bible says men rule over women, full stop, period. They can say that in a cultural context, but they can't say it in the legal context, of course. Your Honor, I think we should make abortions illegal because men have the right to control women now. That does, that doesn't, <laughs> not, that's not going to play very well, right? They certainly believe that, uh, but they don't use it as a legal argument. Their arguments on abortion in their larger public discourse and in the courtroom are not framed that way for obvious reasons. You measure these arguments and you find that they are filled with logical fallacies of one kind or another. They are meant to evade this one key moral principle found in the Bible, men must control women in the eyes of God. So the right focuses on thou shall not kill as their strategy instead. Viability became the compromise position from a legal perspective. In the end, it's all about 
tying abortion to murder. The religious right wants to make all abortions murder. They had to work with viability instead because the rest of the country and the courts disagreed with them. <laughs> um, a fetus is not a person unless it is viable, was a compromised position. There's your compelling reason for the state to interfere, right? So, it, mm -hmm. it looks like to me that, that the strategy on the right was never about viability. They needed to address that point because they were forced to. But for the, right's religi uh, for the religious right, it's always been about extending personhood to the fetus. That's what these heartbeat laws are all about these days, a step in that direction. And that too is a compromise position. It's only a, like a staging area for them, a place to regroup and attack for the final victory. Oh, well said, man. Um, and both of you, I think, uh, have uh, made a lot of really great points. And I just want to sort of clarify, right? Viability wasn't an argument that was brought by conservatives, right? And that sort of connects with the point you just made, Joe, mm -hmm. is that they don't care about viability, right? That was a, a judicially crafted remedy. And it's actually one of the reasons why uh, why why Roe is so criticized by legal, legal scholars. Cause it's like, yeah. where the hell did you get this idea from? Mm -hmm. Right. It really, it's certainly not in the constitution. Mm -hmm. Right. And they're, that their job is to interpret the constitution. Right. Um, so uh, I, I really also, I think it's important that we in general, that we avoid uh, being too simple. I mean, we can get into details here, but, uh, and that we could be here all day, but that we're, that we're clear that there's a lot of different reasons why, I think conservatives don't like abortion. And by the way, a lot of people don't like abortion. But um, I think that but underlying all those things is is a drive for power, right? You can call it patriarchy, you can call it theocracy, you can call it whatever, whatever it is. But that is sort of, I think, the underlying drive. And so and I think in a lot of ways, it's not necessary for a lot of folks out there, conservatives out mm -hmm. there, it's not it's not like an explicit conscious desire to control women. Um, but I think it is implicit, right? I think that it, it's it's basically a a drive to keep things as they are the the, the uh, and we're going to talk about this with David Brooks a little bit right this um of, of maintaining the status quo um so you know I don't for example I don't think that um that McConnell cares about abortion one way or the other like I, I could if at all <laughs> I think that for him, it's just like, look, this is a great way to ride to to, to uh, get the base up and fired up, and that means power for us. And and you sort of talked about that a little bit, Joe, as well. Um, and so on that point, uh, there are really good reasons, as I was just saying, from a constitutional law perspective, to believe that Roe was decided incorrectly. There's a strong argument that Roe improperly did by judicial fiat what should have been accomplished through legislative means. Roe is, in many ways, a picture-perfect example of the so-called judicial activism, which, ironically, has become quite commonplace in the Roberts era. Mm -hmm. There's a strain of feminist thought, by the way, that takes the position that Roe put an abrupt end to a promising movement to achieve abortion rights through the legislative branch. If that had happened, we very well might not be in the predicament we find ourselves right now. It's a lot harder to get a law a law unpassed than it is to uh, to reverse a judicial ruling. A major criticism of Roe is related to the trimester-based viability standard it established out of whole cloth. It has been criticized on these grounds from the political left, the political right, and by many less politically motivated constitutional scholars. And that standard was attacked outright and ultimately disposed of in the court's landmark 1992 decision in Planned Parenthood vi uh, versus Casey. This case was a challenge to a set of onerous restrictions on abortion enacted in Pennsylvania. 
In Casey, the court preserved constitutional protection for the right to choose, but it adopted a new, weaker test for evaluating restrictive abortion laws. Under the, quote, undue burden test, state regulators can survive constitutional scrutiny so long as they do not place a, quote, substantial obstacle in the path of a woman seeking an abortion for a non-viable fetus, end quote. Uh, Not too difficult to see how Casey undermined women's uh, right to abortion, eh, guys? No, it isn't. (laughs) But it is an example of the trench warfare aspect of this struggle. The right keeps gaining legal territory and then digging in. Each time they move the legal overton window or the window of acceptable discourse closer to their position, that's been the case across the board. As far as the activist court argument that you made, um, that has always been a bad faith argument in my mind. The court is activist in the minds of the religious right when it rules against their position. If the court decided to throw out key constitutional principles, no matter how important they were, principles that benefited the religious worldview that they had, they would cheer. <laughs> we all know that, right? Um, so that has to be looked at from with a critical eye. Should this have been decided by the legislative branch instead? By you know Congress? Hell yeah. But laws can be overturned as well. So as a matter of fact, only a new constitutional amendment would truly ensure this right endures. But that argument, once again, excludes the power dimension. What should have been done is not the same as what could have been done. The ERA amendment failed despite great effort. And to say this should have been done you know, by, by laws instead of by the courts is great, but is it really realistic to say that? Well, I think we look at uh, the ERA and its failure, and you know, I watched that horrifying series on, on FX, you know, uh, Mrs. America, and I mean, that was just, it was headed for passage until the religious right got involved. And mm. if it had passed, it could be argued that the ERA might have prevented any restrictions on abortion, right? Because it doesn't affect a man in the same way. So this is why they were against it uh, so hardcore. And I, w- I want to bring up something else, Christoph, that you mentioned. And I agree with you that I don't think uh, McConnell or Trump, for that matter, actually cares at all about abortion. Trump was a pro-abortion more or less Democrat before he, you know, ran for president. I mean, he he talked about it. He, you know, so um, I just think that it absolutely is something that they have latched onto uh, as a matter of raw power because they're using it. I mean, their their constituency is white men, and and so white men. If you think about it, again, they might not have this thing where it's like I'm trying to control women, but a lot of women, or a lot of men, really like the idea that women need to rely on them for support because that gives them the lever of control. And particularly if a woman is married, they like to be able to, you know, if, if, if they're having trouble, they like to be able to threaten, well, you know, you can't live without me, you need me. It's, a, it's the typical abuser language. You're nobody without me. And, and they like the idea that a woman, you know, who's maybe stayed home with the children, doesn't have a career, you know, if she moves out, she, her living standards take a big fall. And that is something that has tried to be addressed with, you know, alimony and child support and all of that. But as we know, the courts in many cases are tilted against women, particularly in the Bible Belt. And so it is something that uh, it, it, it's just, it's all tied up with the patriarchy and can't be separated. And the fact that McConnell and Trump are willing to use that issue 
makes them just as bad as the most hardcore misogynist because they're, you know, they're, they're allowing it. They're allowing, instead of, instead of taking a stand, they'd rather feather their own nest, have their own power than they would, you know, take a stand for, for what's right. And also, um, you know, we, we've, we've kind of done the viability testing to, to death here. And I, I understand that it wasn't, um, really a, you know, anything other than a device that was used to to kind of make up the the, the ruling. All right, and I think I'm I'm happy with that explanation that you gave, Christoph. I'm, I didn't totally understand that, but I think we do have to kind of discuss this because when you have matters of law, if the law starts to go the other way against abortion, it actually can, in a lot of people's minds, shift what they consider to be the morality of it, right? Because a lot of people confuse and conflate what's legal with what's moral. And we know that those two things are often very different. And so discussing this, I think, is kind of important to, to come up with a reasonable time frame. Like, I'd be more concerned about when the fetus can experience pain because then empathy comes into play, right? And I think we can all agree to a reasonable time frame like the second and the first and second trimester for elective abortion. I think non-medically essential third trimester abortions are kind of problematic for humanitarian reasons, and they could probably be banned without causing an undue burden. I think that six months is long enough for any person with a uterus to make up their mind about whether or not to give birth. Do you agree? I agree. I think that's a good point. And I, I just want to say, um, I think it's within your point, Christoph, about whether this is explicit or implicit, these these. It's sort of like urges to control women and so forth. Mm -hmm. I think that's this a valid point to make. I think for a lot of people, it is about, they think it's about murder. They think babies are getting murdered. I think it's real to them. Uh, and they don't necessarily see it that way. And I think that's a valid point. Uh, but at the same time, you can say the same thing about, let's say, racism, right? Is it implicit or explicit? In the end, it's both. It's a it's a complex mixture of both. A lot of times racism is implicit, but it's still very damaging. And I think that's the case here as well. And I think for the actors that are controlling the political side of this, it's very explicit. I think for them, it's not it's not that unclear. Uh, I think they they rarely they create these narratives that that feed on people's fears and and like the fear of their babies are being murdered that kind of thing, um, and I I I do appreciate though the nuanced sort of look on this that we shouldn't just take a, an absolutist position. I think we should be all willing and open to see the other side to some extent. But you know, I lived in uh red america for a while for 10 years like really red america and you know the positions there are it's not the same as where i live now which is on the east coast it's a very different mindset uh and i think for a lot of people there they do feel a sort of fierce passion towards some of these things that that it's hard to understand as an east coaster i really is yeah, I, I think that's right. Um, I but I, I think it is important that when we talk about these issues, right? Um, because I, I don't, I think most people are are, are self interested, right? And most people are driving to you know raise their status or whatever, or, or in, in various different ways. Um, and I think that when we when we, I think that we in 
if our goal is to fight back, if our goal is to uh, to be able to uh, to sort of not, maybe not reach people, but fight back, I think it's really important that we understand who we're dealing with very, very clearly. And I'm and I, um, you know, I do think that there are the, the religious right is the religious right. Absolutely. Like the sort of ultra conservative people that are out there. I just don't think that's most people. I think most people are sort of swept up in a current of, oh, well, you know, well, babe, uh, abortion is murder or babies are being killed. Right. And that's really an idea of um, epistemological uh, problem. Mm -hmm. Right. It's not understanding what a, what a human being actually right. is. Right. Yeah. So what, I, what, what, I, what I'm getting at is that I think even though I agree with you that that the underlying thing here is power, the underlying thing. And the end of the day, I think your racism analogy was a good one, right? Implicit or explicit is beside the point from that perspective, right? It's like, no, but this is hurting people. And that's the point. And I agree with that. I don't think that's wrong. But I do think when we understand, when we under, and we'll use racism for that, for that matter, um, because something that I'm intimately familiar with, um, you know, there are, there is, from my perspective, there is absolutely a difference from a Ku Klux Klanner, which who would be like a person who is, say, like a religious right fanatic, right? And someone who's just sort of didn't even, they don't even realize that, oh my God, I didn't realize that was offensive. There is, there right? certainly is. And so, and so when we're trying to understand and fight back, it's, I think, from my, I believe that it's critical that we make those kinds of distinctions yeah. because, right, um, and because those are the people who you can talk to. Talking to a Ku Klux Klaner, absolutely not. Right. I'm not talking to that person, right? So I, so that's just sort of why I, I, uh, I am uh, pushing back a little bit on like broad sweeping ideas about about like what those people are. I think that is that can, I don't think that helps us. I don't care about them. Yeah. I don't care about whether or not they I don't care what the <laughs> fuck they think. What I care about is that like what how how well does it allow us to fight back? Yeah. Right. That is sort of what I'm what, what I'm getting at. Could I interject something really quick? Um I just yeah. want to say that um there's an argument that was made uh, an article I recently read by David Brooks who at various times in his life has been pro-choice and now he's more conservative and he's uh, he opposes abortion and the argument that he makes is based on the human soul. And we it, here at the Radical Secular have talked about this many times about what a bad idea that is. And so I think when you have to look at, you know, you look at um, the human soul, you look at male power, you look at all of these things that are sort of proxies. They become, and people just like, it's just kind of like uh, when you mentioned last week, Christoph, about how people say, oh, I don't like black culture, right? As a, as a, right. As a stalking horse for racism. And and mm -hmm. in, in, with same, in the same way for sexism, it's, you know, oh, you know, women are just, women are getting, you know, too uppity or... Or, or too powerful or, you know, these kinds of things they say. And then the religious people talk about the soul and they talk about murder. So these are all like sort of ways that they misframe the issue. And that's that's kind of what I'm concerned about it almost on a subconscious level. Yeah. yeah, I think that's yeah. right. And that subconscious element is what is what I think is important because and it's actually more dangerous in a lot of ways. Like a Ku Klux, Ku Klux Klanner, I know exactly what this guy believes. Right. And he is behind his belief. Right. He is explicitly behind this, whereas the sort of casual, like low key racist who doesn't even don't even think of themselves as no one. I guess no one ever thinks about themselves as racist. <laughs> but um, that's funny. I mean, no, no one ever thinks they're a bad person. Right. And, and, so like no one's like, I'm yeah. not. A, even if you go to talk to a Ku Klux Klanner, he will tell you blue in the face. No. I, no, no, as long as they stay where they're supposed to. But, you know, anyway, um, I guess my point is, is that in trying to craft 
responses and and defenses and 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 frankly attacks against the right. Uh, I think it's just important that we're that we to our to the best we can parse these things out. Even though if we know, and I think you're right, Sean. By the way, at the end of the day, it's all the fucking same shit, mm-hmm. right? Like they they can call it whatever you want, but it's fucking patriarchy. It's fucking racism. I don't care what you call it or how you try and justify it. Yeah. But at the end of the day, there's this unconscious, like you're saying, Joe, this sort of subconscious or unconscious sort of uh, justification that they've done in their head. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's like, nobody's a racist, nobody's sexist, and nobody's in a cult. You know, it's just like. <laughs> right, exactly. Exactly. No one's ever those things, right? Someone has to be, right? I, mean, you know. I, I, I do think we need to be very flexible in how we approach people. And I, I do think we have to avoid the grand sweeping statements. You're right. Absolutely right about that. And I think to Sean's point as well, uh, you know, we can approach this from, like, if we want to find common ground with people, we can do it from a, from a human humanitarian perspective we can think about things about like pain and, and what stage mm-hmm. you know a child uh, you know a fetus is a child or is a experiences pain and all that we can talk about all those things we we shouldn't say there you know that it's just you know one thing and that's it and we're right and you're wrong we can talk but we have to watch and see if they can meet at a humanitarian level right if that if there is that willingness and that honesty to go there on their side as well, then okay, maybe the dialogue is possible to some extent with some people, for sure. Uh, but then you have to watch the 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 thread of the political power that's happening around this issue, and that's what I was referring to mostly when I when I mm-hmm. talk about. When I talk about things like, you know, uh, patriarchy and male dominance and stuff, it's really at that level, not so much at the psychological individual level, but they're painting and creating this narrative and this psychological space where people are latching onto and for purposes of power. And then that gets translated into changes in law, in, into shape, reshaping society. That's, at that point, we have to be very clear right yeah. about the, mm. but no you can't do that that's wrong right if you think yeah. about the law is the law is the default right so um for the last 50 years since roe v wade okay um, anybody can make any argument they want about the morality of abortion and we can just go well it's a constitutional right fuck you you know and so now if it gets reversed we can make any argument we want and uh they can say well nope the supreme court overturned it fuck you and right. so it, it, yeah. it really does trickle down into, you know, what, what arguments win the day tr- uh, trickles down into what kind of a country we live in and what sort of things are even considered acceptable. So, yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And um, so having had that very interesting discussion, by the way, guys, thank you. Um, and th- this sort of brings us to the current our, our current place. And I'm going to go through this quickly because we had, um, you know, we're, we're as we usually do. We like to talk about things as we <laughs> tend to go long. Um, so Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health uh, organization is the case that looks like is going to uh, basically roll back, not basically, ro- that probably will roll back um, uh, an important constitutional right for women. And one thing I want to sort of hit here is I, I'm trying to think if they had, if they rolled, like what it would feel like for me to live in a world that Brown v. Board had been rolled back, mm-hmm. right? So that segregation. Mm-hmm. had been rolled back, right? It's not just, it's certainly not just a legal argument. It's a personhood argument, right? Mm-hmm. It's basically you are taking back 
part of my personhood that has been given to me that I've been that that have that that I'm finally able to experience. And I think I can imagine, I mean, I'm feeling that as a man with no uterus, I can only imagine being a person with a uterus and what that must feel like. And by the way, there's gonna be a lot of people, 160 million people, or about 49% of the country is likely to live in a state that heavily, if not totally, restricts abortion access by the end of 2023. So what I wanted to do now, I'm going to throw, throw you all a curveball, <laughs> is, um, gentlemen, how do we fight back in a post-Roe world? So the first thing that jumped into my head, by the way, um, is, uh, right, right, first of all, that we think really thoughtful about our, our responses here as progressives. In the short term, I'm sure you've heard of this sort of sanctuary states, ca- uh, California coming out, and which, by the way, was a, there was, a, I can't remember what they call it, the abortion express or something like that that was like a flight from dallas to uh to la and that was, it was so people took that flight um in like pro pro uh pre-row so frequently that it was like and they call it the express because it was like mm-hmm. that's where you went to get an abortion so i mean that is the world i think we're looking in it's sad it's sad to say that like yeah. to be to think of that as a solution but that's kind of where we are. And then, of course, the longer term has to be about federal legislation. Yeah. And I'm really hoping that what ends up happening is that this rings the bell, wakes people up. Like that is the only that is the only hope that I can see is that the, that the reversing of Roe, all the people who said, oh, that'll never happen. What are you talking about? You're overreacting. But here we are. Here we are. You know, uh, how do you guys think about that? <laughs> Joe, go ahead. <laughs> How do we fight back? That's a great question. I think that it, there's no short answer to that. I do think it starts by understanding power. And we talked about it all the time and the people are probably going to get sick of us for saying it, but it's true. <laughs> uh, there is There are power dynamics going on here that have to be uh, revealed. And they're not. A lot of them are obscure. And what we need to find out is what is driving people and largely yes. what's driving people to have these sentiments is basically a lot of very meticulous planning over generations by actors, right? Not exclusively, mm-hmm. right? You know, if you're going to plan to have a propaganda campaign, what you do is you use existing sentiments and you build on them. So there are certainly pre-existing, you know, patriarchal sentiments, racist sentiments and all that. But what we need to do is expose them and then... Uh, once we bring them to the light, then they don't have as much power. That's one thing I would start with. On a person, it's a good yeah, start. On a personal <laughs> level, I think we need to do the same kind of work we do with racism. Right? We need to we need to examine our own biases. I, you know, uh, we're men, right? And we are have we've grown up in this culture, and that's created a lot of shit for us that we have to deal with, and we have to be honest about it. Like we we have to try to be better mm-hmm. people. So those two things to start. What do you guys think? That was really good, Joe. Thanks. Well, I was just going to say that um, (laughs) some bells can't be unrung. And we are now in for a generational struggle. And if if I had any hope, it would be that young women and men, I mean, young people in general who are used to sort of living in this liberal uh, society that where their rights are protected will suddenly start to realize how damn serious this is. Okay. Yes. Because and, and and there's a sort of race against time, right? Because do people awaken soon enough to 
actually be able to vote and do things while that's still possible before the other part of the Republican takeover bites any harder than it already has. I mean, they are trying to not just roll back rights, but they're also trying to roll back elections. And yeah. so it's it, this is really a multi-pronged onslaught. It is a war. Uh, I was saying today, and I've said many times, that uh, I believe that distractions and trivialities and entertainment and focus on celebrities and focus on you know, the past and anniversaries and all this sort of just meaningless stuff that, that consumes people's time. You know, I kind of think that people who are posting about that shit are the same people who would be doing nothing in uh, 1930s Germany. And we are really in that sort of moment. I don't think we can say it enough and people may be tired of hearing it, but hearing it, but they're going to be a lot more tired of living it. And so that's, that's why I say that like, while there's this window, we have a one year window and I keep saying it and that's, you know, ticking, the days are ticking off. Uh, we have to, we have to fix this. We have to fix voting. First of all, I think yeah. that like what you said, uh, at the beginning of the show, Christoph. This is a, a this is a 20, 30 year uh, conservative court at this point. And oh, yeah. so even if there are legislative remedies, there's no guarantee that the, that, the, that this court wouldn't overturn them. Uh, not, we are not safe with this court. This court is is an authoritarian court. Yeah. I think that's right. I think that's right. And um, I will before I hand the the uh, the reins back to you, Joe, uh, uh, thank you both guys for it for being part of this, I think, really interesting conversation. Um, I, a little um, moment of hope, and that is that, um, that the, I really, I am a believer that the arc of, of, of progress or whatever bends towards justice. And why do I think that? I think that, and that's assuming that the, that the, that the human race survives mm -hmm. the planet, right? That's a big if, right? Whether it's so, but assuming that we're able to not literally destroy the planet and in that way, destroy ourselves. Um, we are as a species progressive, we fall backward. Sometimes for literally 500 years, we'll go backwards, mm -hmm. right? Or stay in the same place, but ultimately it bends towards justice. It might, it's probably what could be in, our, in the three of our lifetime. That's for goddamn sure. Um, we will probably spend the rest of our lives, frankly, in, in, in decline, not us personally, but you know, the world in decline, frankly. That's the most likely outcome given what we're looking at right now. But I think, um, and maybe this is a great argument for having children, right? So you have, you know, you sort of, <laughs> you know, you, you keep your generation, your, uh, your genes, to, to, uh, in the in the pool or whatever, um, but my point is that like that is the little glimmer of hope is that perspective, and again, not very very uh, hopeful. But uh, but look, we're it, these are desperate times, and uh, so Joe, here are the rains. Yeah, thank you. All right. <laughs> so, uh, and yeah, it was an, it was a nice. You, I'm glad you drove the wagon for a while. That was cool. All right. So <laughs> so Sean, if I may paraphrase what you said back. And, and also you, Christoph, you mentioned the same. We got to cut through the core of this issue and start there. And it is really about control, whether it's implicit or explicit. It is mm -hmm. about traditional power. It's about power over women. It's about God, God over man, all that stuff. All those hierarchies that, Sean, you've talked about so much in particular, right? You, you've written stuff on, lots of stuff on, on, our, on our journal. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, uh, the right wants to talk about just about everything else but those things, right? They don't want to highlight that kind of raw power dynamic. 
So instead, we have to do it. We have to talk about power. <laughs> we have to. We have to. We have to. You know, expose what they're really talking about. And first, it's the power of the narrative. The religious right wants to keep the conversation about God and about souls. They want to talk about life and death tied to their morality. And to them, the only true one for America is their morality, right? And they've said this explicitly. It's not like we're putting words in their mouth. You <laughs> you can punch holes in their arguments very easily. They, it, you know, it has no basis in fact, not even in the Bible itself. The Bible doesn't even talk about abortion, for example. But I don't think we should <laughs> engage there. Reasoning with believers, right, uh, is like pushing on a string. And yeah. second is the power of law. And this is what we, why we wanted Christoph to talk about it. The religious light moral argument is meant to bolster their legal argument, to, to tie abortion with murder. If you do that, all the legal elements run rights and privacy that we've talked about are all overridden, right? Mm -hmm. That's a primal law, right? Do, thou shall not kill, murder. Um, that's their legal strategy. That's been their legal strategy. Um, and the left has done a pretty good job, actually, if you think about it, fighting against this argument and also the larger narrative at the national level that the left has held its own rhetorically in this fight uh, and also legally to the extent that it has is why we still have Roe v. Wade now because they've been trying to get rid of it for half a century. Pro-choice movements kept it about the same argument that won in 1973, civil rights. It mm -hmm. has made an impact in public opinion as well. If you look at the polls, by large numbers, Americans still want abortions to be available, but they want to be regulated, right, with limits. Why then are we on this threshold of losing the right to an abortion in this country altogether? Well, a blatant steal of a presidential election in 2000, two lost Supreme Court seats by playing net dirty games, widespread voter suppression that just keeps getting worse, storming the halls of Congress and state houses. You know the whole thing, right? Right. It's about brute power that does not care about law or etiquette or rules, right? Sheldon Whitehouse, uh, next senator of Connecticut, writes in an article for the American Constitution Society that Republicans, quote, appointees to the Supreme Court have, with remarkable consistency, delivered rulings that advantage the big corporate and special interests that are, in turn, the political lifeblood of the Republican Party. And this, of course, includes abortion. It's been carefully orchestrated. The right-wing judges on the court were literally handpicked by the Federalist Society, an institution specifically <laughs> created in the early 1980s to challenge democratic liberalism, right? Mm -hmm. Do I need to say it again? <laughs> in fascism and theocracies, majorities, public sentiment, and discourses are irrelevant. The law right. is irrelevant. You shall be assimilated and resistance is futile. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Roe v. Wade is teetering on the edge of the abyss because it is target of this power. People need to have that clear in their minds. And as we've said here, if theocratic fascism takes full control, it's a whole new world. We are not yet there, and we are on the edge of the proverbial knife with it. Uh, and this is why the legal side is so critically important still, because it's still it's part of the power struggle, right? We have that Definitely. avenue. Uh, but we won't have it for long if we don't win something back, if we at least hold our own. Um, 
it's honestly, uh, we still have a constitutional democracy. It's still here. We still have it. It may have been re eroded, but I simply want to lay out the consequences to say the, um, that the legal fight is critical, but it's not enough. It's not enough. We all, myself included, keep hoping the right will sink so far as to wake the rest of the country up before it's too late. It's like, well, you know, technology will solve the climate change issue basically on its own. Mm. Bullshit. Mm -hmm. On both counts. We <laughs> yeah. need a plan. We need strategy. We need action. Yeah. And I think that, unfortunately, you know, we're working against human nature. We're working against core evolutionary drives that tend, you know, people don't like to hear bad news. They don't like to face bad news. They don't like to be disturbed. And I'm going to talk later a bit uh, about what the signs are of fascism. And we have checked all the boxes. I'll go through it, but we've we've checked all the boxes and I will demonstrate that we have. And yet people are still not awake to what's happening. Not even our leadership, not even Joe Biden is understanding the criticality of this moment. Or if he is, he's not talking about it. I mean, he had this democracy summit yesterday or whatever. And 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 yet still, where's the prosecutions? What What, what is he doing to have his, you know, President Kennedy Cuban missile crisis moment to confront this issue? Not a whole lot. And, you know, I'm not that I'm not that impressed either with the January 6th committee, although they're doing more. They're starting to ramp up, but they're get running out of time. And we need to shut these guys down with the remaining power that we have or, you know, it's it's not going to matter because I'm telling you, when I look at the Supreme Court, I don't think that. Barrett or Kavanaugh or Alito or Thomas care at all about what anyone thinks of them. I mean, they are, they are frankly just a bunch of arrogant fucks and they're political hacks. They owe their entire careers to the Federalist Society and the American theocracy industrial complex, frankly. Um, you know, and I think that Roe's going to be overturned and then some. It's, it's not inconceivable to me that they will attempt to put some federal limits on abortion that might even endanger abortion rights in blue states. Might take a few years Me after neither. falls, you know, for their plans to be fully realized based on new cases that right wingers will almost certainly bring against blue states. And uh, these controlling religious theocrats, they've been salivating over this for so long that they're absolutely going to do their worst. And this will also have a terrible impact on the doctrine of stare decisis. No Supreme Court precedent at all will be safe mm. from these absolutely despicable Federalist society saboteurs. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I think that's right. I think that we are, we are definitely at a, at a, a huge sort of inflection point, a huge step backward. Um, and I think, uh, I think it was you, Joe, who was saying, right, that people aren't paying, or maybe that was you, Sean, it was you, I think, saying that, you know, people aren't paying attention, don't understand the moment that we, where we are. And uh, and this sort of goes back to to what I was saying at the top of the show is that like Roe didn't die, um, but with, with with a knife plunged in its heart, right? It died by a million paper cuts, right? Yeah. Um, that's how Roe died. Um, also, um, I mean, it, and uh, simultaneously, um, or um, simultaneously, another way to think about this, or another analogy, uh, is that right? It's not like 
we go from everyone votes to the next day there are Nazis goose stepping down right. <laughs> down down the road. It, it doesn't work no. that way, right? It doesn't happen in these sort of comical ways. And sort of the way that we are as human beings is and uh, is uh, when things happen suddenly, it's the frog in the hot water thing that we, <laughs> that we talk about from time to time on this show. So people don't realize what's happening until it's already happened. Um, and so that's what that's what that's what's really scary. That's what's really scary. And I agree that we can't just hope that the rest of the country wakes up. I mean, I think that until it actually impacts people like to your point, Sean, people like uh, come going after blue states, abortion laws or whatever. And then you have people that women who are suddenly very, very affected by this. Mm -hmm. Perhaps you get a change. I think that's the only way to make this real for people. Um, And by the way, make this real for people with power because poor brown women are going to be impacted by Roe's uh, reversal more than anybody else, right? Yeah. That's who's going to bear the brunt of this. So until it's actually white women with relative power, yeah. right, who are affected directly, uh, yeah, I just don't see how this gets any better. Look, I just read an article on CNN, and it was talking about this uh, abortion provider who woman came in, and she was over the six weeks in Texas. And the doctor, she, the woman broke, burst out into tears. You know, she's ready to go to college. She doesn't want a kid, can't necessarily right. afford to travel out of state. And she just doesn't know what she's going to do. And all the doctor could do was just hold her hand and, and say, I'm sorry. And it's tragic. This is, this is going to be repeated millions of times. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. tragic. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I spent most of my life cautioning people not to overuse the word fascist. I really did. I, I, I would ch- chastise people. Hey, you know, save that word. The English is important. Language is important. Be clear. Okay. Don't use fascism unless it is fascism. It's fascism. It, now yeah. it, it is what it is. So we have to be clear again and say what is true. We really, it's really quite clear. If you look at history, if you look at political science and examine all this stuff and look what's happening today. This is fascism. It might have its own flavor. It's got a 21st century Trumpian-esque flavor, but it still is what it is. So I want to kind of spell out this question of power a little bit more here, right? And in in his article, um, David Brooks wrote an article in The Atlantic where he argued that the new face of conservatism is anything but conservative. The new right, he says, sees conservatives who come before them as insufferably naive, his own words. (laughs) They instead obsess about (laughs) the woke elites. Us, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, I'm like, oh, God, God. we're such a threat, right? Oh, right. Jesus Christ, right. I'm just like living the the dream over here. I'm so elite. (laughs) I would would like to know what it's like to be an elitist. Yeah, that sounds great. (laughs) Sign me up. Can I become an elite? Where is is there? Yeah, (laughs) right. Exactly. Can I get some of that dough? You know? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I suppose we are to like people from very poor countries and stuff, but, but you know. Oh, yeah. for sure. Yeah, yeah, anyway. yeah, that is true. Um, so they, they obsess about woke elites as this axis of evil holding the reins of institutional and cultural power in the United States, you know, big tech and increasingly, by the way, <laughs> most of corporate, the corporate world. I mean, this is a difference here, a big difference, mm. right? Their hostility against the corporate world, right? And oh, yeah. this evil is out to destroy all that is good about America and to get at them, right? To get them specifically. 
you know, and this is what Brooks is saying, you know, and he claims the movement has three distinct strains, people over 50 that have recently been radicalized by the current, you know, conditions, second, mid-career politicians uh, that we all know very well, right? And <laughs> operatives who capitalize on populist rage that we also know very well, right? Mm -hmm. And then the third and the saddest one to me and the largest strain, he says, is radicalized young people. Yes, yes. You know? And that's really sad. And that is because yeah. they had a strategy to do that. It worked, right? They well, really we all thought these guys were going to die off. We thought, you know, and we thought, oh, the old, the old yeah. conservatives will die off. No, no, no. I mean, they, no. they're they're doing what religion and conservatism has always done, which is yep. training up new recruits. They pass the baton. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's absolutely right. And they do. As a matter of fact, we talked a little bit about this last week, Joe, because I was talking about a friend of mine who, right, right. who I played hockey with and stuff like that. And I'm literally watching this brainwashing happening. He was just a kid. And now he's spouting out this shit. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, it's happening. And that goes to our, our, one of our earliest episodes, American History X, mm -hmm. that episode that we did, right? Yes. Um, like one of our first or second episodes that we ever did. And because and, that was all about recruiting yeah. young people and making it seem cool yeah. and, and masculine. That's yeah. what real yeah. men are like, yeah. right? Right. And you know, for these neocons, as uh, Brooks says, quote, the first great project of the national conservatives is to man the barricades in the culture war. That's what they're all mm. about. Right. This increasingly means defending manhood, as you said, Christoph, and masculinity, something we talked about in our last show. Uh, I think uh, it's really something to think about quite a bit because it's so powerful. It means returning to the dominance of the old orders across the board, really. Christian power, white power, hetero male power. According mm -hmm. to Brooks, the NatCons debate centers around the choice between preserving the classical liberal order things like free speech, intellectual debate, neutral government, and so forth, or abandoning it under an outright masculinist white Christian banner of cultural identity, right? Mm -hmm. And this, this, that's something that's fueled by constant outrage, by menace and fear-mongering, and most importantly, to wield state power to seize control of society. Now, that is something we have to really focus on. I think, Sean, you'll talk about that a little bit more later, right? Yeah, well, I think yeah. I, I mean I really, really encourage people to read this article because you know I'm not a huge fan of David Brooks. I think you know he's he does uh, have a lot of those misconceptions that are typical of conservatives, but he's certainly not the enemy. I mean, he's not these guys, and, definitely, and not. you know, and he, he's entirely correct in this article and. Also, his assessment of the terrible ascendancy of this populist culture warrior wing on the right, for all intents and purposes, there is no other Republican agenda that remains. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing nope. left of the old GOP with the possible exception of their relentless libertarian drive for tax cuts. And we know that tax cuts, they were the only significant piece of legislation that Trump got passed during his term. Everything else he did was either cultural stuff or involved administrative actions, which he took with great uh, uh, gusto across nearly every government department, laser focused on slashing regulations, rolling back civil rights. Everybody for, you know, Betsy DeVos mm -hmm. and on down the, you know, the, the putting coal lobbyists in charge of the EPA. I mean, it just goes on and on. Right. So unbelievable. You know, it, was, but, it was crazy. It was crazy. It's just, it was, and, and that's what we have to look forward to again. That's the problem. Okay. And, and, but it's not just that. Okay. We're going to get that. And, and there's more. And, and, and that's what Brooks underselves. Uh, when he in this article, the absolutely fascist overtones which are present at this national conservatism conference. 
He was right to sound the alarm. He didn't go far enough because these people have openly embraced fascism. There's no other word for it, Joe. Like you said, there's absolutely no other word for it. And 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 frankly, Americans need to be scared. They need to hear fascism, fascism, fascism over and over again because that is what is happening to them. And and the 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 very nature of this sort of iron fist in the velvet glove that they don't recognize, right? That's what fascism <laughs> is. That's another characteristic. But uh, I, I want to check off though. Um, because these people are zealously unapologetic. And, and so let's check off the boxes from, this is a, uh, yeah, a let's graphic do that. that's on the web called the 14 defining characteristics of fascism. We'll put the link in the show notes. And so number one, we'll go through these quick because we're, we've got, we've got about probably 20 or 20 minutes left, but, uh, powerful and continuing nationalism, which obviously America first and 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 mm-hmm. treating America not as a nation as is described in the Declaration of Independence or the Constitution, but as a primarily culturally defined entity for white Christians, not a nation with liberty and justice for all. So that's what they've embraced. Check. Uh, disregard for human rights. They want human rights only for white Christians. They don't want a Bill of Rights that applies equally to everyone. And they've made that abundantly clear. So check. Uh the identification of enemies, woke liberals and cultural Marxists. I mean, aside from, you know, their constant talk about about immigrants and people from shithole countries and all that stuff, uh, it is really us, the three of us right here. We are the face of the enemy and and we have been defined. So check. <laughs> Number four, supremacy of the military. It's It's weird. This is really weird. But the GOP has now come to be to the right of the military. They, and they dislike the military, which they now see as a bastion of wokeness because the military follows equal employment opportunity guidelines and they follow, you know, non-discrimination. And, and this has now become a boogeyman for the right. And you know how, um, you know, Trump criticized General Milley for being, you know, a decent human being. And uh, but <laughs> still, they, they kind of talk out of both sides of their mouth on this because, they keep the military budget sacrosanct and that's because they all have their hands in the till. And so what we can expect (laughs) from future GOP administrations is to purge the wokeness uh, and reinstitute a military culture of white male supremacy while keeping the gravy train going. That's their plan. So check on number four, widespread sexism. (laughs) Okay. And effectively anti-wokeness again is the glorification of racism and sexism as a defining principle. Anytime you hear, anytime you hear anyone talking about woke overreach or this, all this other bullshit that they spout or cultural Marxism, what they're doing is saying, I am a proud racist and sexist and you should be too. So check on number five, controlled mass media. I had to laugh when you talked about, uh, Joe, about the the idea that Republicans think that the tech industry is in their corner. I mean, we've got the largest tech platforms that have to do with information, which are Twitter and Facebook, basically being run by conservatives, conservative libertarians who won't do a thing. They won't lift a finger to stop fascism. Okay, and then you have Fox and all of its surrogates run by conservatives that didn't exist. You know, Roger Ailes and Rush Limbaugh brought that into being. And as a result, the traditional press has been all but rendered irrelevant because the, the, the traditional press can report on things. But one half of the country that doesn't or even more than half that doesn't trust the press now will ignore 
the stories or we'll call them fake news. And since Trump's election, Republicans have also kept the press under constant attack as enemies of the people. So check on number six, obsession with national security. Again, the current GOP obsession with American security is paradoxically against our actual core national security interest for the preservation of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness and e pluribus unum out of many one. Uh, National security to them is primarily instead about preserving white Christian culture. And they demonstrate this by snubbing all of our traditional democratic allies around the world. And they embrace uh, dictators who impose white Christian cultural supremacy or other monocultural supremacy, whether it's Hindus in India or Muslims in the Middle East. Uh, The Republicans will embrace them because they are anti-pluralist, pro-theocracy, authoritarians. And so, yes, that is number seven, check. Number eight, religion and government intertwined. We talk about it every week, theocracy. And now this is specifically being name-checked by everyone from Michael Flynn to this Orthodox Jew at the conference named Yoram Harzani, who stated that eliminating God and scripture in the schools was the turning point in American civilization. And he said, above all else, we've got to get God and scripture back into the schools public schools, he means. So check. Corporate power is protected. And it's weird that the NatCons are going after corporations as bastions of wokeness because it seems like it'd be a very simple matter to roll back things like the Equal Employment Opportunity Act and gender protections like what they did with Title IX, you know, um, and, and, and corporations would follow right along. You know, they just go where the money is. And, and in financial terms, American corporations have never had lower taxes or more power. So number nine, check. Uh, labor power is suppressed. GOP has been pushing so-called right-to-work bills for decades and has targeted labor unions as effectively Democratic Party organizers. So check. Number 11, disrespect for intellectuals and the arts. Republicans are so pissed off at science and academia that they are starting their own colleges. They slash arts funding at every opportunity and they despise modernism as cultural sacrilege. They went so far as during the Trump administration to mandate neoclassical architecture for all future government buildings. So check. (laughs) Obsession with crime and punishment. This has become so central to GOP messaging that they will all fly the police flag and constantly attack American cities as hotbeds of crime. So check on number 12. Rampant cronyism and corruption. It's no coincidence that Trump was the most corrupt occupant of the Oval Office in history, violated the emoluments clause, did every other corrupt thing you can think of, and that he also elevated personal loyalty above loyalty to U.S. law and the Constitution. And I don't know if you guys heard, but just today he actually told... uh, former Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu from Israel to fuck off because he called and congratulated Joe Biden. So this is the level he is on a global (laughs) level. He is globally gaslighting foreign leaders to act against our constitution and rule of law. So yes, check. And the last point, it's a good segue there, fraudulent elections. Number 14, The GOP is currently very far along the path of installing loyalists as secretaries of state and governors around the nation. They are openly planning and discussing this plan to refuse to certify future elections unless they win. And that's not even talking about gerrymandering, which has now reached unprecedented levels where even a slight majority in a red state will grant Republicans up to 80% of seats in a state legislature. So check, elections are off the table. All 14 boxes, it's not clear how we can successfully fight back. 
Yeah, I don't know how you add to that, but Christoph, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I, I think that's right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that there is um, that there is a we are this is pre-fascism, right? This is, this is, these are the steps that lead to a complete fascist takeover. And, and the biggest thing, the elections thing is the most obvious. I mean, come on, right? I mean, that is like the hallmark of a democracy is that people can actually vote and their vote actually counts. Um, what I think is fascinating though, is, is this human, human uh, element of this is that, and we talked about this a little bit before, is that no one ever thinks they're a racist, right? <laughs> no one thinks they're a fascist, mm-hmm. right? No one thinks that they're no one thinks that they're actually keeping people from voting. They have talked themselves into saying that, oh no, no, we're taking these, but we are just we are fighting um anything that can hang their head on. We are fighting voters we are um sorry, um uh, voter fraud, mm-hmm. right? And that's enough for people to hang their sort of moral hat on, even though with just a little bit of digging, it is so obvious that that is just not true. Um, and I, I, I won't take up too much time here, but I really, in terms of the Brooks article, which I really do recommend that everybody read, I think it's really fascinating, especially coming from a guy who is conservative, right? Um, this is like, but the kind of conservative that we kind of need in a, in a culture, right? A, a guy who he thinks differently about the world. He looks differently at the world, but he, I love that he said in, in his piece, by the way, he said like, um, any, any, uh, philosophy that ignores the role of race and racism is immoral. Mm-hmm. He said that straight mm-hmm. up. And that is coming from a conservative, right? And he also went on, he went on to say that this is something that, uh, that, that, that conservatives have been perfectly willing to use dog whistles and have been perfectly willing to, to, to ignore these race issues for power. And the last thing I'll say about him is that I thought it was really fascinating, um, he talked about how he loves loves conservatism because of the 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 uh, small communities. He called them platoons of people of uh, that that are out there, and they come up. And they are the best at uh, at um, at coming up for with what they need, um, and uh, that the politics is local, all this kind of stuff. But then he also went on to say, which was fascinating, because it undermines what, almost everything he just said, which is, but also these things lead to distrust of the outside of of the outsider that these things like that that kind of way of looking at the world inevitably leads to people walling themselves off and so i just thought it was really fascinating that that juxtaposition that he identified within conservatism Mm -hmm. um and uh, and 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 i and again i don't think he's wrong i think he's right that conservatism does a really good job of tapping right into human nature Mm -hmm. but for all the wrong reasons, like all the bad stuff about human nature, you know. Yeah. Um, but I'll, I'll leave it at that. Yeah, I was so much, we could do a whole show on just conservatism and so forth. We probably should at some point. We should. Yeah. That's we point. still but haven't I'll, done reactionary mind. We haven't gone through that whole book. Right. It's, it's, on, the, it's yeah. on the docket. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, for this discussion, we're running out of time. I'd like to close it by looking at a larger sort of perspective. Uh, looking at democratic decline across the world and its ties to the mm. right. Uh, in the U.S., democracy has eroded significantly, not just from our point of view, not just from our perspective, but from the global perspective. Uh, according to the last several annual rankings by the Economist's Intelligent Unit, which is really highly regarded, the report measures five main categories, by the way, uh, electoral process and pluralism, civil liberties, the functioning of government, political participation, and political culture. 
This last report pointed to the continued erosion of trust in the country's institution, our country, by the way, as a main <laughs> cause of our erosion, because we've had significant erosion in the United States by these measures, right? Very objective measures. Uh, it's also mentioned deep dysfunction in the functioning of government, increasing threats to freedom of expression, and a high degree of social, social societal polarization as factors for this decline. But what's interesting is the report specifically cites efforts by the former President Trump and his allies to challenge the 2020 election in several states with, as we know, very unsubstantiated claims of non-existent, <laughs> non-existent lies. widespread voter fraud lies. <laughs> lies, straight up. <laughs> The report also cites all the voter suppression we've talked about and all the stuff you were mentioning earlier, Sean, right? Is based on, on this index, the US, the U.S. now is mired in the flawed democracy category, right? right? And that's been the case since 2016. And that's not news to us, right? We, we've, this, we've known like, of this, course. Right? We've, we've been talking about this, but this index yeah. is very valuable because it's evidence-based. And it's confirmation, mm. right, from a very different source, right? Um, have you, how, you, you in the audience, have you heard about it? Have you heard about this? Um, it seems like we simply aren't <laughs> paying attention or this stuff just not getting reported very well. But this is what the world is, is thinking of us. Um, we here in the show, in this show, have talked a lot about how this democratic decline is happening right in front of our noses, right? Uh, Zach Abuchamp, I think that's how you say it, makes a similar claim in his articles on Vox that we desperately need, quote, is a mass pro-democracy movement. That's yes. what we need. And there isn't one. Uh, nope. We, we certainly agree here in the Radical Secular. Uh, Buchamp claims, quote, <laughs> the elites and the mass public are locked in a mutually reinforcing democratic disinterest loop. Uh, that we have to untangle that. We'll do that on the show. Um, but in, in that fact, the democratic reform seems stalled. We need democratic reform at the very least. If we uh, have any, any chance of beating this back, people are distracted by the pandemic, by high gas prices, by all that stuff. Uh, what happened on January 6th seems like distant and unimportant to most people now. Mm -hmm. um, I agree with Bouchamp that it's much like the politics of climate change. Democrats know it's important. They say it's important. Uh, but in practice, the threat is removed from everyday concerns. No one seems willing to do what it takes to avert looming catastrophe on both fronts. Uh, the closest we have come to a mass pro-democracy movement of late is Me Too and BLM. Right? Yeah. And the abortion issue could be as a galvanizing factor as well. We deeply care about women's rights here, of course, but the other reason that it could help our general cause of fighting against this rising tide of fascism, because it could be a unifying cry uh, for the left. As you said, Sean, once this starts to hit home, right? Once it really starts to hammer people, regular people who are not really tied in, maybe, that, maybe something better will happen. Maybe that's one bright side to all this. Who knows? Repeal of Roe v. Wade and the political landscape may shift closer to our favor. With that in mind, any last thoughts, my friends? Well, um, 
first of all, uh, Joe, thanks for um, thanks for this for doing the show with us and and oh, sure. uh, leading us through it. Um, I always enjoy talking to you too, uh, uh, you and Sean, especially when we get to get all three of us on the show together, which can be difficult because of schedules, etc. But here we are, um, and I do hope that the Roe v. Wade issue, right? Because the Roe v. Wade issue galvanizes people, right? Because it would be easy to say that one more black person, black man being killed, wasn't going to be enough to get white people in the street. And again, I can't stress that enough, right? Because black people may be in the street, but that doesn't matter. What you need is white people in the street, right? It has to be white people's problem. And to 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 some extent, uh, a lot of pro- relatively progressive uh, white people made it uh, after after that that one death, that one awful taped murder, mm-hmm. right? They made it their problem, at least to some extent. Mm-hmm. And um, I think what we need here is, um, first of all, for uh, for for everybody, men and women, to realize that this is this is a this is a real problem that um, that there are that our our democracy, our democratic rights are being taken away. And and I hope that this. Uh, Roe v. Wade repeal or uh, over over being overruled will be enough or something. What at least a drop in the bucket toward getting people their people's head out of their asses, right? And realizing that holy shit, you know, a unelected, which is fine, but are like the, the Supreme Court does not reflect the United States at all, and the comp and the and the um. Uh, the legislative branch, et cetera. I mean, these are not reflective of what Americans think. And I, again, I just hope that this could be the uh, uh, something of a catalyst um, because it's big, it's sensational, and Roe v. Wade is something that we all know and know the name of. It'll it, it'll penetrate very deeply. Yeah. And I'm hoping that 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 will be that'll be effective. It probably won't be. But <laughs> hopefully. Well, I just want to say we've 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 mentioned this before, but the majority of the Supreme Court. Uh, has been appointed by presidents who lost the popular vote. And so it is not a democratic institution and it's not accountable to democracy. So, you know, there, we're, we're stuck with a certain amount of, of ruin of our democracy, no matter what happens in the next election or the next election after that. But I want to point out something else. And that is we've seen this movie before. Poland and Hungary were full democracies and they are now past the point of flawed democracies. They are yes. they are authoritarian states now. Poland just lost the right to abortion in, within the last year. And the, mm-hmm. with the same kind of consequences that are playing out for women there. So I am frankly tired of being the guy to tell everybody, quit watching <laughs> fucking sports, quit posting stupid jokes, quit posting quizzes, quit talking about celebrity fucking deaths. I mean, I, I feel like, like, like I'm the skunk at the garden party, but wake the fuck up, people. Like, this is not a joke. Life is not a joke. The earth is not a joke. America's not a joke, but it's about to be if you don't take it seriously. So, you know, I'm sorry. I don't mean to yell, but at this point, I don't know what else to do. I've been talking about this for 20 years. I hate being right. It's no fun, but you know, this is a situation and we got to get our act together, people. And that's all I got for today. Yeah. I, you know, I, I share your frustration. I really do. Mm And, you know, Christoph, I hope that, you know, I, I want to believe what you believe that the arc of history bends towards justice or the arc of progress bends towards justice. And I, part of me does believe that, but it's been hard to keep that faith Mm -hmm. because things just look very dire. But at the same time, 
right? There, we can act, and that's what's important. We can take action, and that means that we're not hopeless and helpless. We're not, and we'll just we're just going to have to be very flexible, very adaptable, and do the best we can. And so, with that. <laughs> Remember, if you like our show, make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and check out our Patreon. And tell your friends to listen. New episodes post Monday at noon Eastern on YouTube and all the major podcast channels. We also publish new articles weekly in our journal at theradicalsecular.com. I'm Joe Kipinti. Thank you for being here. And remember, wherever you are, you can be radically secular. Radical Secular Podcast is written and produced by Christoph Defoe, Sean Prophet, and Joe Okipinti. Logo and main title designed by Tim Stetner. Post-production and original theme music by Sean Prophet. Special thanks to our support team, Lindsay Brightman, Jillian Sky Jacobs, and Lori Field Okipinti. Radical Secular.